what we see is affected by our attitudes and our outlooks. And it is a, is a difficult process for us many, many times. The ability to see is a wonderful ability. I, I, uh, I went to the eye doctor uh, several weeks ago, and I was just checking my vision. Um, I don't know how you check your vision, but, uh, but before I go to the eye doctor, I like to just uh, close one eye and see if that's okay, and, and close the other eye and see if that's okay. Uh, I mean, I open them in between, so I'm, I'm seeing out of one or the other. And... I was uh, I was I was looking at that and I and I looked at a at a particular uh, word that was on the on the wall. It was in a picture, and I noticed that when I closed one eye, there was a spot on one of the letters that wasn't there normally when I had my, both my eyes open. I said, "Huh, that's kind of odd." It's kind of like that uh, when you the spot that you have when you um, when you have your picture taken with a flash. Uh, camera or you you see a bright light that kind of a spot and so I thought that's weird it was kind of grayed out area and I, I thought that was weird so I mentioned it when I went to the eye doctor and he he goes hmm he goes you you, you say it's there all the time and I said only when I close the close my one eye and he said you can see fine otherwise and I said yes he says we better take some pictures of that I better send you to a retina specialist and so I went to the retina specialist, and he said, hmm. <laughs> we were, we've, uh, we've gone to doctors a, a long time. I'm, uh, I'm over six decades old, and uh, so I'm over six. And we've been going to doctors for a long time. And one of the doctors that, uh, that actually was examining my wife, uh, he said, that's interesting. And then he said, you know, he gave us a little insight into, into doctors. He said, you know, you never want to hear from a doctor that's interesting because what it means is I have no clue what's going on with you whatsoever. And so uh, it was that kind of a situation with the retina specialist. And he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Here's our, here's our plan of action. We're going to wait four months and just see what happens. It sounds good. Don't mess with it. It might not be broken. And uh, so uh, pray for me because... Uh, because I don't really know what's going on with that. Uh, new eyes for a new journey. You are on a new journey. And uh, <laughs> starting last week, really, you're on a new journey. And uh, I, I feel like uh, I'm not the Joshua that is, that is following your Moses. And I'm just kind of up here in between those, uh, those folks. And uh, pastor Steve has uh, has served well and long, and he has been the only pastor of this church, and that is just fantastic. I listened to a, a couple of his messages uh, in the uh, in the previous weeks, and what he said when it just cracked me up because I knew that I was coming. And uh, he said, "I can tell you one thing." He said, "I can tell you that uh, that I'm pretty sure that the pastoral search committee." is not going to recommend to you somebody that looks kind of like me. You remember that one? Uh, not going to have a, uh, a wife named Diana and uh, probably won't be 66 years of age. Well, let me just put your minds at ease. One, I'm not being recommended by the Pastoral Search Committee. Number two, I'm not 66 years old. I'm 68. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> 
just kind of the way it goes uh, for us in this time. But uh, but how is how is your vision? Can you see clearly? Well, if you're talking about your physical eyes, uh, you you know something about that. You either wear glasses or you don't wear glasses, and you know how blurry it can be sometimes if you do wear glasses and you're not wearing your glasses. And you can have some sense of that through the eye doctor, but but spiritually, how do we see? Spiritually, can we see the next steps of God? Probably not. We can see the past and what God has done, but we can't see the next steps of God. And we're in a time in the church here that we're looking at the next steps of God and we're going, oh my goodness, God, you've been so faithful for these 40, 41 years. But what now? What now? How... How are we going to be together? Are we going to, are we going to agree on everything going forward? Chances are that you will most of the time because Pastor Steve has, has so developed you that you'll understand the workings of God. But chances are also because we're just a variety of people that will have some areas where we won't have full agreement. And that's okay. There's a way that uh, that seems right to us. And a lot of times we get in conflict because the way that seems right to us and the way that seems right to God are totally different. We were... Uh, when we were uh, newly married and had... Uh, We've been married a couple of years. We had a child, and uh, and our and our child, our son, uh, was plagued with. Uh, he had pneumonia twice before he was a year old. Part of that was because of the drafty brick house block house with a concrete floor that we lived in. It was a refrigerator, and uh, this time of year it was colder out. It was colder inside than it was outside. It was just that's the way the house was. And uh, we finally figured out that we could we could wrap plastic completely around the house, and uh, it would it would the furnace would then heat the house, and the ice would melt off the inside of the windows. Uh, but he had he had pneumonia twice uh, before he was a year old, and he had uh, a lot of troubles with his uh, with his lungs, lung diseases, and those kind of things. Uh, just seemed to plague him, and. In one of our discoveries, uh, one of our trips to the doctor, uh, it was around Christmas time, and the doctor kind of looked, and he said, you know, he said, after the holidays, we're going to have him tested for cystic fibrosis. Now, that doctor, we liked that doctor really well uh, until then. Uh, we, we liked that doctor really well, and... What he just told some parents before Christmas was that you may not have this child. He may not last until his 20th birthday. That's a, that's quite a, quite a shock, quite, quite a thing to say before Christmas. And we didn't receive the news well. My wife and I were uh, at home, and she looked at me, and she said, How you doing? And I said, I'm doing okay. 
I lied. Um, but, uh, and she goes, well, I'm not. And so she went in the bedroom and she cried and she yelled at God. This was not the way that we had wanted to start out. And she read her Bible. There was a song uh, in those days that was going around. We knew the song pretty well. And it was, it was by the Imperials, I believe. And I'm checking with my wife on that one. And it went something like this. I'm not going to sing it, so relax, okay? I'm just going to read the song, okay? Uh, when you're up against a struggle that, shadows, that shatters all your dreams, and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear, praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him, praise the Lord. For God inhabits praise, praise the Lord. For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. I'm not going to do the second verse, but you get the idea. And my wife, when she was thinking about that, she was praying, she was, uh, she was yelling to God, she was calling out the name of the Lord. Um, and she came out of the bedroom a different person than she came in. She had given our son, who we had dedicated to the Lord back when he was born, back to God. And said, God, whatever, we're going to enjoy him as long as we have him. My prayer when he was born that I didn't tell anybody was that God would serve him, that, that God would use him in pastoral ministry and that seemed to just go right out the window. Well, fast forward quite a ways. Uh, uh, Ellen was determined to f- find somebody that would test this child before Christmas and one hospital didn't have the right kind of testing equipment and the other, an, another one did and so we got to that hospital and our child was tested and he did not have cystic fibrosis or God healed him from cystic fibrosis. We're leaning toward the latter. But we don't know. When he was getting ready to go to college, he wanted to be a lawyer because he was very concerned about social justice. And he said, Dad, we have pretty good court. We have pretty good laws, don't we? And I said, yeah, pretty much for the most part. He said, but the courts seem to just either ignore the laws or, or just there's, there seems to be a problem with, with how the laws are applicated. So yeah, he goes, I want to be a lawyer. I said, lawyer is a good profession. Don't be a liar, be a lawyer. I said, it's a good profession. And, and he says, and I want to be a judge. And I want to be on the, I want to serve on the Supreme Court. He had goals. This is good. A couple of weeks before college, he said, 
Mom, Dad, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm not going to be a lawyer. I said, why is that? God has called me into the ministry. I said, are you sure about that? You don't want to go to the ministry if, if God's not called you. He goes, I'm absolutely certain of that. Couldn't be more clear to me. Well, we had already seen that coming. Unbeknownst to anybody in my family, I had prayed for that when he was born, so I'm going, yes! <laughs> I said, well, if you're sure, let me tell you something that I prayed for when you were born. He goes, oh, yeah, it's your fault, Dad. <laughs> but sometimes... Uh, Sometimes we just have a, a, a way of, uh, of looking at things that seems right to us, but it's not right to God. And the way that we were looking at our son when we thought he had cystic fibrosis, we thought we had that limited time, and if that had been true, it would have been a way of God, and it would have been for because he loves us, not because he hates us in any kind of a way. And so it's difficult for us sometimes to, to figure out what God is doing. And for every new adventure that we face, we need new eyes for the new journey. We just do. And so it's necessary, and I've just listed several folks who had to have new eyes for a new journey. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, on the road to Damascus, had to have new eyes for a new journey. He was struck blind because he couldn't get new eyes in any other kind of way. He was, he believed in God. He loved God. God was extremely important to him. And anyone that, that believed anything different about God than Paul did, Paul was, uh, highest in his class, you know, and he knew it all. And so, uh, he went to the chief priests. He got papers to crush this thing called the way, which is Christianity. And he was going to have them arrested and he was Oswey and Jesus appears to him in bright light and Paul is blinded. Man named Ananias, uh, he was, uh, he was to go, uh, to Straight Street and talk to Paul. So we got Paul going on the road to Damascus and, uh, and Straight Street must have, uh, intersected somehow to that. Uh, but, uh, but Ananias, uh, hears the word of God and, and God says, go to a man named uh, Paul, his name was Saul then, uh, and, uh, Saul is the Hebrew form, Paul is the Greek form, so don't worry about those names, but, uh, we, we know him as Apostle Paul. Uh, go to a man named Saul. He, and, and restore his sight. For I'm, he's my servant, and, and, uh, Ananias goes, um, God, I've heard of Paul. In fact, he has, he has papers, he has authority to come and arrest us and put us in prison, take us back to Jerusalem. And God goes, Ananias, he's my chosen instrument. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. I don't know what Ananias' reaction was as far as, uh, you know, what he said to himself, like, oh, he has to suffer? Yes. <laughs> he's made us suffer. Maybe he is deserving of that. But Ananias was faithful. He had to have new eyes because what he saw wasn't what God had in mind. man named Peter, you know him. He's the guy that spoke everybody else's heart. 
He's the guy that spoke up and, and said things. And, and many, many times Jesus would just say, Peter, that's not how we do things. And, but Peter was, uh, in the garden at the table. He was, uh, in a courtyard when Jesus was being crucified and, and Peter had made a declaration, I will, I will defend you with my life. And all the rest of the disciples said, yep, us too. And Jesus said, no, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. Peter needed new eyes. Moses at the burning bush. He had tried to save his people. He had murdered somebody trying to save his people. And he'd found that it didn't work out for him. It was found out. He fled. Went to the land of Midian. He was there for 40 years. And he saw a burning bush. And he went there and God said, take off your shoes, it's holy ground. And Moses did that and, and, and God proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was God. And Moses was talking to God and he didn't die. Moses said, I got a job for you, I want you to lead my people out of, out of Egypt. Moses had all kinds of reasons why he didn't want to do that. And finally he said, somebody, send somebody else. Because Moses needed new eyes for a new journey. He was going on past failures and said, I, the journey is just too much for me. And then Moses' successor, Joshua at Ai. He had just finished leading the Israelites in a tremendous battle that God was very specific about. Just walk around the city for six days. Don't make a sound. Just walk around the city. All right. Said he had walls and they walked around. They walked around again and they walked around again. They walked around six times. Okay. Now on this next day, you walk around. When I give you the signal, then just shout. And they did that. The walls came down. They came in and they took the city. That's a pretty miraculous victory and you feel pretty good about that. God's on our side. We can do this. And so the next town was AI, not very populated, wasn't very many people there. And, uh, Joshua sends out, uh, scouts and he goes, uh, what are we gonna, what are we going to confront here at AI? Scouts come back and they go, there's not very many people there. It's not well guarded. It's just a piece of cake. Uh, don't, don't trouble the whole army for this. No need to. Just send a few thousand guys. So Joshua sends 3,000 guys out there. They have a tremendous battle. Tremendous by its hard. 36 men lost their lives and the Israelites fled. Came back to Joshua. Joshua tore his clothes. And then he sought the Lord. Hmm. Perhaps he got that backwards. Perhaps he should have sought the Lord beforehand. They sought the Lord beforehand when they went into Jericho, but then they knew what they were doing. Joshua needed new eyes. Adam, our son, at home.
needed new eyes. Steve, when he came here 41 years ago, has had to go through this process of having new eyes over and over and over again with you. And you have witnessed the tremendous result of those new eyes. So we're here today. And we are looking for new eyes for a new journey. We want God's eyes. We want, we want to consult God. We want, we want God to lead us in that. We don't want to have a really good idea and say, come on, Jesus, come along with us. We're going to do this. But we want God to lead us. And Jesus explained the process of getting those new eyes. In the book of Matthew, There's a series of bullet points in Matthew that we call the Beatitudes. You ever heard of those? And I taught those as bullet points for a long, long time. But several years ago, I began to change in how I looked at a lot of Scripture, and I, I changed and said, wait a minute, this is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And people understood what he was talking about, unlike us. And this is not just a list of bullet points, but this is, a, this is an explanation of a process that if you're going to follow God, you have to go through. And so, in the beginning of this Beatitudes list of things, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And you might say, what in the world does this have to do with new eyes? I'm glad you asked. Because there's a way that seems right to us, but the end therein is destruction. Because that is just a fact, we have our own ideas about how God should behave. And God doesn't always behave that way. In fact, God seldom behaves that way. But God takes us through a process that will, that will help us to trust Him and empty our lives of the things that are in the way of trusting Him. And so let's, let's get over some of these words that we, that we don't really use very much. Blessed. Some people, when they read it, they they say, blessed. It's just blessed. And this is from the the Amplified uh, Version for blessed. It says, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired, even to be envied. If a person is blessed, they are spiritually prosperous. They are admired. Envied, and they're happy. 
So you go, okay, that's, uh, that's what Jesus is talking about. If you want to be happy. And, and the context of this verse is really, um, comes out of uh, chapter 4 of Matthew, and it's not on a slide, but uh, let me just uh, read that. The end of chapter 4 uh, in Matthew, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So he had all these people that were following him. And he saw in all these people the misery of their lives and they were chasing after a happiness that they didn't know how to attain. That's the context of when he started teaching in what we call the Beatitudes. And so he's saying to be spiritually prosperous, to be happy, to be admired, you need to be poor in spirit. You're going, what in the world does that mean? Anyone got a good grasp on what poor in spirit means? It simply means being spiritually bankrupt. You go, how in the world is it a blessed thing to be spiritually bankrupt? Well, to remain spiritually bankrupt is not a great thing. But to start out with God, where you don't know anything and He knows everything, that's a blessed thing. Because then you're, you're at a place where you can understand and you can agree with God and you cannot fight with Him. You say, well, I got a better idea over here, God. There are those in Scripture that have tried that. They usually came around to God's way of thinking. And so Jesus is saying uh, that if you are uh, devoid of spiritual arrogance... and you regard yourself as insignificant, then you're in the process where God can give you spiritual eyes. So condition of poor in spirit, let's look at these, uh, let's look at these folks that we looked at earlier. The Apostle Paul, who thought he knew a lot, was spiritually bankrupt because he didn't know what God's next steps were. He was fighting Jesus and Jesus was building the church to save the world because he loved the world. Paul was perpetuating a religion. Ananias was in the way. He was in Christianity. He understood some of the things of God, but he sure didn't understand picking someone who was an enemy of the church and helping that person to overcome his blindness. Hmm. But he had to, he had to get to a place where he was poor in spirit. God, you know more than I do. Peter in the, in the garden at the table and in the courtyard, 
Peter, to his credit, he tried to do what he was going to do. He was in the, he was in the garden when the soldiers came and he, he wheeled out his sword. Now he's a fisherman. But he wields out his sword and he, he wields it wildly and he cuts off the servant's ear. You're not very good with a sword if you, if you get somebody's ear, okay? It's, it's not what it's for. But, uh, I'm that way when I fish. Um, I, <laughs> But Jesus said, put that away. And he couldn't do anything else. He'd, already, he, he'd, tried to, he'd tried to fight like he was going to and he couldn't do anything else. And Jesus said, put it away. And he put the ear back on, healed the, healed the person, and they took him off. And Peter was scared and followed Jesus at a distance. thought he knew what he was doing. He thought he had real good spiritual eyes, but found that he was, he discovered that he was poor in spirit. And he would discover that later. When somebody came up to a fire, they were warming themselves and they said, you were, you're one of his disciples. I am not. No, you're, you're with Jesus. You're one of the followers of Jesus. I am not. And somebody else comes up and says, No, I saw you. You're a Galilean. You're, and he, and he called down curses on himself and he said, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. And just then, Jesus looked at him the eye to eye. And he was crushed. Because it was out of fear that he said that. And then he saw Jesus' eyes. I don't think they were condemning eyes. But Jesus, or Peter was crushed. And he went away and wept bitterly. Poor in spirit. He realized it. And realizing that you're poor in spirit. Moses at the burning bush, he didn't want to go. Send somebody else. Um, and uh, Joshua at Ai tore his clothes. He's needing spiritual eyes if we're going to make any progress with God we have got to develop new eyes and we start with being poor in spirit so that we can hear what God has to say without distortion blessed are those who mourn blessed forgiven refreshed by God's grace again from the Amplified version of the Bible are those who mourn over their sins and repent for they will be comforted. If you find yourself in, a, in an area where you are where you can put away your spiritual knowledge for a moment to receive what God actually has for us and get that poor in spirit condition, it always comes with a mourning. Because we don't let go of our own ideas very easily. We just don't. And you can see in the uh, in our in our idea in our uh, our examples there in the scripture of the of the people who mourned. They had they had established poor in spirit, they had gotten that 
they mourned over that because they were wrong and they didn't know and they were struggling. And so the Apostle Paul isolated himself uh, immediately in prayer. Peter wept bitterly. Moses said someone, sent someone else and 36 people died and, and Joshua tore his clothes. He was in remorse. It just comes with that. It's a result of that. It's a, it's a result of coming and understanding what God is doing and understanding that we had the wrong way and we mourn. And then blessed are the meek. Blessed, inwardly, peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect. We're gentled by God. Like a horse is gentled. And we become, we become kind-hearted, sweet-spirited, and self-controlled. We gain new eyes. Because it's not on us anymore, it's on God, and it, it's always been on God. Our next steps are always on God, but sometimes He has to just, He has to help us through that process of understanding that we're poor in spirit and allowing us time to mourn. And then He does something in us. So the condition or result of being meek or gentle toward God. New eyes. We're starting to see spiritually for a new journey. The Apostle Paul yielded to God and preached Christ. He repented. Peter repented and yielded to God. He was reinstated to serve. Moses repented and yielded to God. He survived God's anger. Anger God was about ready to kill Moses. His wife helped him on that. Caring Community Church. We're in the process of yielding to God. We have no choice. We have a choice on whether uh, Pastor Steve is here or not because Pastor Steve, who has been the Moses here for 40 years, is not here. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just the way that things are. But to understand now that that fact puts us in a different perspective. That we need to go through a, okay, God, you know the way forward. We don't. And I'm sure that you're in that process. It's okay to mourn. And you will. You'll miss Steve desperately. But not as much as Steve will miss you. But God will gentle you and help you. And as you are able to, with all of yourself, including your emotions, grasp on to what God is doing 
He will give you the new eyes that you need. And he'll move you forward. And so you need new eyes for this new journey. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Search out God's will for the souls in Albion. Be cautious about the knowledge that we have gained because sometimes that can get in our way. Don't throw it all out, but just be cautious about it. And you'll recognize new eyes because they'll be aware of our spiritual poverty, our, our poorness, the blindness in our in ourselves, and, and this process will flush that out. Allow, allow our time to mourn. And we'll yield to God's will. And in this process, and because of this process, you'll be spiritually prosperous and happy. Not happy that Steve is gone, but happy that Steve spent the time building the foundation that God will use to catapult you forward into a wonder, a wondrous future. That's part of God's plan for you. New eyes. Gain them. Seek them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you have a process that you, that you bring us through. Father, we don't switch on like lights. We don't have a switch that goes on and off. Father, we take, we take time and you take a process to go, to take us through. Thank you. And Father, we just pray that, uh, that as we learn about this process and as we go through this process, that you would shore us up with those new eyes. We'll thank you and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.